ahead and start, even though we're still missing a panelist. Um, we have two outstanding panelists, and they said that they would just talk more. So we should be good. And we are so excited to see you all here. We were really worried that being the first conference that you wouldn't be here yet, but you're here. Um, I wanted to just find out who's here. How many medical students? Outstanding. Nice. Um, residents? A few residents. Good job. How many? Do we have anyone here who served out on the mission field? Um, not, not on, how about anybody here who served on a mission field, not on a short-term trip, but at least li you know, lived overseas for quite a while? Okay, good. We have some other. We may You're going to be honorary panel members. Yeah, we may ask you guys some questions. Okay, good. All right, and um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce our panel members um, who are Catherine Welch and Cynthia Hale. And, oh, I'm being told that I'm supposed to remind you all that um, Women in Medicine and Dentistry is um, sponsoring this session. And uh, that's why you have the brochure. So Women in Medicine and Dentistry is a commission uh, for the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. And Gloria was going to say a couple things about that. Yeah, just did, did everybody get a brochure? No. I can just tell you that as a Christian woman physician, it's meant the world to me. And I think Ellen would say the same thing. I'll bring it over in just a minute. Um, it's a real lifeline because there are so many different hats that we wear. It's, fine to, it's hard to find, you know, yourself surrounded by other people who are Christians and women and physicians. And this is a really great organization. There's a wonderful uh, yearly conference, and we have scholarships for medical students and residents that your registration is waived, and there's scholarship money for rooms and things like that. Next year's meeting is already listed. It's going to be in Arizona. It's always at the end of September. That We also have uh, devotionals that come monthly that will be sent to you online if you're interested. There's a lot that the group does, like sponsor things like this. This has really got to do with gender-specific type of things that affect women on the mission field. So um, we just wanted you to be aware, because some people are not aware of, of WIND and what they can do. And you can get added to the email list for free. You don't need a scholarship for that. Um, should I, Gloria, is there any more? Should I go? Okay. So the format for the session is going to be pretty simple. I'm going to let Catherine, um, Catherine and Cynthia introduce themselves, tell us a little about themselves and how they were called into missions. And then uh, I have a couple of other things I'm going to ask them, and we're going to open the floor to you. So if you don't ask questions, it's going to be very boring. So please feel free. This is a great opportunity to ask questions. So I think I'll go ahead and start with Catherine and um, ask you just to kind of introduce yourself and, you know, take a few minutes and tell us how this all got started. Now, that mic is not going to amplify you. That's only for recording. Right. This session. Right. So you can... Oh. Can no, my voice is um, almost gone already. Okay. So, but I think, yeah, I think this is long enough to uh, accommodate. I'll stand up. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Catherine, and um, I have uh, I've been on the field ten years now. Um, I am 39, still single, still looking. 
Uh, but thriving. And uh, I'm a pediatrician. Right now I serve in northeast China. I started out in Thailand and did a short stint in Africa and then moved to China. And I don't... Do you have specific questions? I Let me just say that we'll, I just want to open it up to whatever you guys want to know. Um, I'm willing to be open about it. Um, I have given talks uh, at missions conferences about being a single on the field, about... Uh, the singleness and sexuality issue of being single on the field. And uh, nothing is really off limits. I'll let you know. I'll draw the line at, as far as the answers to your questions. But just to let you know, you can ask just about anything of me. So. Okay, how I came to be on the field is I was a university student not thinking I'd be a doctor. I was in medical school not thinking I'd be in pediatrics. And then I was in residency in pediatrics, not thinking I'd end up on the mission field when I started my residency. And I did a short-term uh, philanthropic adventure. I could get medical school credit for doing two months and call it a mission trip. And I really had no idea that I would end up full-time on the field. But I absolutely fell in love with, uh, with the whole life, with the whole idea of it. And uh, so then after I graduated from residency, I took boards and never looked back. I didn't even wait for my board results. I uh, have been on the field ever since. So that's uh, the brief uh, brief story of that. Okay? Okay. And here's the... Oh, I'll hold it both for you. Of them? Yeah, I'll if you want. Okay, okay, you got it? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Cynthia Hale, and um, I guess God has a different story for each of our lives. And so Catherine's and my story are very different. Um, <clears throat> I at first thought I wanted to be a concert pianist and uh, was trained and prepared and able to go to Juilliard. But the Lord spoke to me very clearly, um, but over a long period of time, uh, indicating that he wanted me to be a, a doctor, a medical missionary. And I was only 16 when this began. And so I did have my sights set on <clears throat> on that uh, career path from rather young age. Um, when I got to medical school, a uh, kind of handsome young man was sitting across from me at the cadaver. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we met over a dead body. <laughs> and after some weeks, he inquired why I was studying medicine. Now, there's lots of you here today, but in my day, there were only four of us in that class that were women. And by the time we graduated, I was the only one left in that particular medical school class. So it wasn't so strange that he might ask me why I was in medical school. And I said, I'm going to be a medical missionary. And he said, well, that's interesting, so am I. <laughs> uh, well, so it wasn't hard to see that we had a lot in common. And so we met in anatomy, we married in pathology. <laughs> and um, I found out that my husband-to-be uh, wanted to go to Nepal as a medical missionary. He had also been called at the age of 16, but very clearly to the country of Nepal. Well, that was a big one for me to swallow because I could only imagine this very far away, difficult-to-live-in place. And um, so it took a while for the Lord to show me that uh, he wanted me there. And um, 
once I got there and learned the language, of course, I was very happy there. And we worked there over a period of 25 years and raised two children. So that's my story in brief. A lot more of Cynthia and Tom's stories are in the series of books that I see are on display at both the CMDA site and also at Cynthia's uh, booth here. They are on bargain prices. And if you'd like to know how they hauled concert-level pianos up mountains, it's very well spelled out. Who are the gals who said they'd also spent time on the mission field? Would you be willing to just give us your names and tell us where you were and what you did? I've got two microphones here, We have, to, so you're going to need to come up here for a minute. Hi, my name is Ruth Lindbergh. I'm a family physician, and so is my husband. Um, we've been in Nepal with team for the last year and a half. And are from Wisconsin, where I'm from. Thanks. <laughs> and... Hi, I'm Shara Green, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Um, I actually was on the mission field in Belize, Central America, prior to going to medical school. Um, I actually went to a foreign medical school for a year and lived with missionaries, and so during that time, it was like I was on the mission field as well and um, served in the church and that kind of thing. And then I transferred, well, not transferred, just came to America to go to a medical school here. Thanks, my brief. Okay. Um, what When you guys got out on the mission field, just to kick off the questions, what uh, surprised you as far as being disappointed, things that, that were hard? What, what was difficult that you didn't expect might be difficult? I, I can't say, but I didn't expect it to be difficult. <laughs> I was scared to go there. But... Um, <clears throat> One of the things that was difficult was not so much privacy. Initially in the guest house where a lot of missionaries were studying the language and my children sometimes got sick and cried at night and the next morning somebody made some snide remark. That was very hard to take. Um, but then when we got to the village, what was difficult was learning how to cook something that we enjoyed eating when there wasn't a supermarket around or even a grocery store. But uh, the local, the, the people who already were missionaries there uh, helped me with that, and then um, we began to eat more local diet that worked better. Well, what surprised us? Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. When I went, I was pretty, I was pretty naive, and I think it, it, was, uh, it was surprising. Mm. I just... I don't think I was really struck by it. I didn't have much expectations, but I think what surprised me was how how absorbed in the work, how much I just, how, and I don't think I really realized this at first, but just being, you know, you went to language school and you did that, and it, and it was pretty, well, it surprised me that it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, that's That was, I guess that could be something that's surprising. But just, uh, how much work there is, and, but then how how not difficult it was, how accepting I was. They had where I landed in Thailand was very rural. Uh, there was no internet there at the time, cell phone, no cell coverage or anything like that. But I think the uh, the warmness of the community um, that that helped me along. But then it, it just I just got absorbed in all the work, which 
I would say it was probably not the best situation, um, but I could, I could pretty much forget about a lot of things just by being way too busy. Um, and so I wouldn't say that was a healthy part of the work, um, but it was really easy to just let yourself be overwhelmed. And I know the Lindberghs are just getting settled in and moving. You, you've had a lot of transitions just come up. you want to say what, what you didn't expect to be as hard as it was for us? Come on up. Why, why don't you guys come up? for about four months now. We've been um, doing language school first for the first 15 months that we were there. So we're yeah, very much still in the transition phase. Um, probably, yeah, there's a lot of things that are just surprising and not what you'd expect them to be when you get to the mission field. I, I guess one thing that comes to mind is that I don't know, you go and you just expect that everyone's going to be so thrilled that you're there because you're the doctor and you're going to help their community. And the welcome wagon doesn't come out. <laughs> um, but, you know, just realizing, you know, why am I going? You know, I'm not going because, you know, to get appreciation from other people. I'm going because God has called me to go there. Um, so just, yeah, just having expectations. You know, that I think a lot of the first term is just realizing, you know, what God has called you to and, and that he's called us to himself. Um, and then from other little things, we have a two-year-old daughter. She just turned two today, actually. She's with my parents in Chicago right now. But, um, you know, raising her overseas is not as hard as I thought it was going to be, and she loves it. She's been there since she was four months old. She doesn't know any different. And, um, you know, when you leave America, which is a wonderful place <laughs> to live, you know, you just think, oh, I'm depriving my child of all these things, but she's having a great time. She loves watching the cows and the goats pass by our front door every day. So, um, but so that that's been that's been a, a good surprise for us. So. Um, sorry to stand in front of you. I don't think it's going to read. Um, the surprising thing from the surprising thing for me was um, I went right after college. I went to Baylor University, the best university in the world. Just saying, um, it's a Christian school. There's a lot of people who are passionate about missions there, so I was very much on fire. I went I went to Belize thinking this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be in school and on missionary already, you know. So I had this very excited, very elevated. I knew God was powerful. I knew he could heal people. I knew he could save lives. I went there, and I saw so many other groups of faith there, and it was not, there was so much um, clouding of the truth. There was, we're all Christians here, so I don't think I'll offend anyone, but there were Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. There were um, religions I never even heard of. And it was very difficult for people to understand how Jesus in the Bible was real when they'd heard another person come from America talking about this religion and this person. So just a spiritual clouding was very um, surprising for me. And a lot of people were like, I attend church. It's actually just like America. I attend church. I'm okay. You know, the exact same thing. That was surprising. And 
difficult. I'm getting a lot of question marks on people's faces, so if you have any questions about what I'm talking about, feel free. But that was really shocking to me. I thought there was going to be so much more openness to the gospel and openness to medicine. I think I'm going to actually, there's so many people here that I think I'm going to go ahead and um, open it up to you all for questions. And uh, we have a couple other things we'd like to hear about that we'll throw in if it doesn't come up. But does anyone want to, st- oh, sorry. Yeah, while you're thinking of your question, just that something that's surprising is you, you guys hopefully have heard this before. You should hear it again. You think you know what you're going to do when you go, and it's like usually not that. So when you go, just learn, relax, learn language, culture, you know, get involved somewhat. But a lot of times it's not exactly going to work out the way you thought it was going to be. Or the situation, by the time you get through language school, uh, whatever that project was is no longer existing or changed or something like that. But that's not really specific to women, but it's, it's really true. So anyway, other questions, people? Yes. Yeah, she's talking about uh, related to um, difficulties that women or specifically single women have to deal with. I think I think a lot of that has to do with where you go. Um, um, and as far as, I think there's always some level of, of difficulty with that. Um, there are more single women on the field than men, um, but when I've given talks about singleness on the field, not women on the field, there's men that show up too. Um, but I think the, the problem with the gender-specific issues, I think, relate to the specific countries. In Thailand, where I lived, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a problem. I was pretty much in a closed community, but in in China, it's it's not a huge it's not a huge issue. But they're yeah, they kind of look at you strange because if you're basically if you're over 30 and not married, you're pretty much an old maid. And same as in Thailand, I don't think that is a big issue as far as the respect you get from your profession. Um, but socially, um, it's just a little bit different. I don't know if you guys have other experiences from your particular countries as far as a culture, specifically relating to the culture of your host country. Is that right? I think the the question is what do women have to deal with that are different than what men have to deal with? What are the problems that come up for women? Finding good tampons? Don't underestimate it. You know, the basics, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Nepal, where there aren't uh, rest stops along the bus tra- yeah. or trails, it's harder for a woman <laughs> to find a bush than it is for men. <laughs> no, it's, I'm serious. It was a, that's not a small matter for me. And um, I hate, I would dread to go back in a way now that I'm old and I have to find rest stops more often. <laughs> anyway, um, well, I, I wasn't in Pakistan, but I have many colleagues who work there, and uh, Afghanistan would be another one like that, where it's very hard for women. can't go out alone by yourself, for sure. 
Um, if you're a single woman, it's even it's, it's hard for women, period. Uh, men are in charge. Uh, in Nepal, it's not quite so bad. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so, especially if, if one learns the language and one is a doctor, they respect you. And so it's not a big issue. In Nepal, you could even examine Nepali men with a chaperone, of course. I've heard people comment about uh, gender issues with specific mission boards. Oh, that they, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a very important one, but <laughs> InterServe is my home mission, really. And uh, from its beginning in 1862, which was a women's mission at that time, because women were not, um, unless they were married to a man, they were not allowed to be a missionary. So this mission began for women, by women. And in 1952, men were allowed to join. <laughs> so we are very strong on women may take leadership roles when it seems like they could do the job just as well or better. Um, but but that's an important one to know. That is true. So I can't speak. So basically... The, yeah. It is true for some organizations. I don't have the issue because I'm also with InterServe, and I just, if that was an issue, I just didn't p keep talking to them. I mean, I just didn't explore an opportunity. But you have to with check that. it out. But you do have to check it out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You ever, you ever find that, like, some, like, when you're raising support, you ever find that, like, some churches or organizations are, like, not sponsoring you or, like, not because they feel like, I don't know, a lot of discrimination out there, like, that a woman, like, I've never experienced that. Oh, yeah. Um, she's talking about discrimination uh, and uh, fundraising with churches or individuals, other organizations. Um, like, I don't. I suppose it's possible, but I've not experienced that. I think it. I think it does happen. But like I said, I just, I just go where, you know, if that's the door is closed, I just like, I just don't go there. But I haven't experienced it much. But other people move in different circles. So. Uh, the other thing you should look carefully at is the policy for families, um, whether you're allowed, if you have children, to make your own decisions, or whether you're going to be dictated that to whether a woman, the wife, has to work or is allowed to choose whether she will work or not if she has children, and whether the children may be allowed to have whatever form of education you and the husband decide on or whether it's decided for you. So those things are very important to find out before you join an organization. And so there's a lot of variety. And uh, then there are lots of other important issues like that, which you really need to explore before you join an organization. What specifically yeah, in medical things do we do? You can start. Okay. Um, well, I've been, because I was there so many years, I did different things. First, I trained nurses to do maternal and child health care because I was still mostly at home with my children. So I wanted to train someone else to carry the load at the hospital, which was very light at the time. And then I consulted as a pediatrician for the other doctors. And then I worked full-time at the hospital as a pediatrician and family medicine doctor because there were very few of us. And then I, um, after that, I was heading up the supervision and training of government and 
um, mission health care workers in the villages, nurse midwives and health assistants for the district around Kathmandu. So it was a different location. And then the last stint that we were in Nepal, I was teaching at the medical school, um, teaching doctors-to-be how to do community medicine. Um, so it can be different at different times. What did you do? Um, I'll just start with what I do now. <laughs> Um, and that is, I am a part of a family medicine uh, training program, teaching the pediatric part of that, um, taking taking care of orphans, uh, foster children, and doing. We teach uh, we teach medicine through charitable outreaches, teaching medicine to Chinese doctors, basically. And I'm also doing a lot with the health and human trafficking. So I do a lot of consulting with counter trafficking. Uh, projects around mostly Asia and starting in the States and things like that. So you are what you hope to do out of school? <laughs> yeah, right now I'm taking care of my daughter and I'm at home uh, with her. So we've been, you know, like I said, just for four months now in our area. So just trying to get our house settled, uh, trying to train my house helper to take care of our daughter um, as well as do the housework so that at some point when I'm comfortable with um, with leaving her with my house helper to go work at the hospital. Um, so it's, yeah, I think, you know, just hearing from what Cynthia said, your role as a woman physician and, and also, you know, what you said, it evolves over time. You know, I know that one day my daughter is going to be in school and then I'll be probably doing a lot more at the hospital and having a different role than I do now. Um, so we just, we'll see what, where the Lord leads uh, me, but yeah. Um, well, I was there. I was. I am single. I was single when I was there. And what I did was I went to class, and then every two weeks we would go to a mission clinic, and we would do anything. There was a pediatrician and an internal medicine physician that would go with us, and a surgeon. And so we'd rotate with them. We also went to the regional hospital um, for one half a year, and we'd like histories and exams on patients. Just a couple generalizations. The whole world is open for all the variety of types of jobs that people can be doing. But there are, I would say, two major differences. You have countries, especially many of the African countries, that the main medicine in the area is a Christian mission hospital. A lot of other countries, like Catherine has dealt with, uh, they're really tent-making ministries. And you don't go in as a Christian missionary. You go in working for the government or working for another organization there. um, And your whole ministry aspect as far as evangelism and things like that is quite different than it is at what can be labeled a mission hospital. So there's a great deal of difference there. Also, uh, in some of the areas where the big cities are, you have people doing very high-level academic care in big centers. There are many places in the world where you heard a theme come out a little bit, especially from Cynthia, about teaching non-physicians. And there are many countries where there just aren't enough physicians. And you may find yourself having to set up a nursing school in order to support your hospital, or looking at public health issues in the villages and training non-medical health care providers to go out and build these teams. There's a lot of teaching opportunities uh, that comes up in missions.
Okay. <clears throat> the question was, how did we cope with the problem of lack of supplies? Well, there were two things. One was that it seems like God always sent us enough just in the nick of time. <laughs> and um, so that was actually true. And we were in a remote area, and our supplies were carried up the mountain by porters. Um, and once a week, you know, something came from Kathmandu. But the second thing is that we learned uh, that we did not have to do everything that we learned about in medical school. And that we could use our eyes and ears and examine a patient and take a history much more carefully and in more detail. And we would make the right diagnosis most of the time. And um, not everybody who comes has a complicated illness. Um, so you get used to knowing how to make a quick diagnosis, start a treatment, and observe the patient uh, for improvement or lack thereof. And so because we also lived in such a remote area, uh, it was a very big burden to the patient if we could not treat them to tell them they should go to Kathmandu or some other place in India or something. Uh, that would cost them huge amounts of money, and not only money, but loss of time working on their farm, and not they wouldn't go alone, they would go with somebody else. So we had to realize that you cannot cure everybody, um, but uh, that you can, you can do a good job with 98% of the people, and you have to be able to allow God to let the others go. That is very difficult. That is not an easy cultural shift for a doctor. I'm just going to tell you a story of a missionary in Africa who went into a village and uh, a wife of one of the chiefs was in a long obstructed labor that had gone on and on and on and uh, wasn't delivering this baby, <clears throat> which could, subs you know, can lead to a ruptured uterus, a dead baby, vesicle vaginal fistulas, the mother died, all sorts of things. And it turns out that she had a very huge full bladder that was obstructing this baby's head coming down. And they didn't have any Foley catheters there. And he took out the lining from his pen in his pocket and cut the tip off and used it for a catheter. And as the bladder emptied, the baby came sailing out. <laughs> and, it was a, and it was a great start to their ministry in this village. But the point is, I think you'd all say, three things when you go out on the mission field and thinking about supplies in American medicine. It's flexibility, flexibility, and flexibility, right? Yeah. Um, ditto all that. Um, was there another question? Yes. Do you have a question? No? Okay. Oh, yeah? Sorry. Good. Good question. Good question. And that leads to, I had thought of a point um, earlier. Uh, you, for those who are in some very, you know, gender-specific, more, I guess, where the, where, the, where the gender differences are greater, you have a greater access to the woman, um, where your male colleagues aren't. Um, one of the one of the things I, I guess, you know, as, as we're discussing, things are coming to mind. Um, no matter what kind of specialty you are, or doctor or nurse, if you're a woman, and I, like, I find myself working with a lot of other guys who are doctors, but I have to do a lot of women's medicine. Um, because even among the other expatriates that I'm working with, or the, the nationals, or whoever, 
they're going to be a lot more comfortable. And I say, oh, I'm a pediatrician, but I've been on the field for a while. So, you know, I've had to learn how to treat. But that's something to keep in mind is to brush up on women's medicine. Like, I've even, like, I've become, like, at one time I was, like, some fertility specialist. But it wasn't me. It was really Gloria. (laughs) I was like, I got this patient with this, so I emailed Gloria. And then, but they don't know Gloria. I get the credit. But anyway, thank you, Gloria. But um, but really just being being aware of, of women's medicine, even if you're a surgeon. I'm a pediatrician. But just uh, And also don't be surprised and don't be, don't be disappointed if you spend some time treating your fellow um, expatriates on the field um, because it's all, I, I, for me, it's like I'm a doctor to whoever needs me. And if I can help support others stay on the field, you know, I don't begrudge that fact either at all. Um, So, but I've heard others say, oh, I didn't come here to serve the other, you know, expats. I didn't come here for them. I only came here for the Chinese or the Nepali or whatever. Well, you can have that attitude, but they're still going to come to you. (laughs) So you might as well just say, hey, it's all a part of the field. Um, So other advantages to being a woman I think it's just the, the access to the woman and, and some of the, well, I think it's just, I think just being a woman is advantageous in general. <laughs> but I'm biased. <laughs> anyway, you guys have any other, do you have anything to add to that? Well, just to remi- remind us that, and especially in the developing country, the majority of illnesses happen in children and, and in mothers that are pregnant who are pregnant a lot of the time. So it's a lot easier being a woman and dealing with them. Um, I just want you to give us um, your experience regarding your own spiritual lives on the field. Um, Sometimes you can get so busy um, helping others, helping their physical bodies and so on, that you find out that your own relationship with the Lord kind of suffers. And I mean, if there are any any stories or any how you coped or whatever? Well, that's an important question, all right. Um, how did we keep our spiritual life going under the circumstances? And I guess it's just a matter of, primarily a matter of making it a priority and trying to stick to it. And, um, and then allowing other people to pray for you and minister to you, other people on the team, and after you know the language, certainly other people locally who also know the Lord. Um, so be teachable and allow other people to help you. And um, don't feel like you're the expatriate missionary who knows everything is always right. I think that really helps if you have that attitude. Um, but there may be dry times. And uh, it's wonderful that CMDA now has these CMDEs every uh, every year, once in Africa, once in Asia, because I think um, those are great times of opportunities to go and not only beef up on your medical skills and training and what's latest, but also spiritually. And I, I recall one time when that was a great help to me with the speaker who came um, in particular that year. So I think that And there's counselors also nowadays in many mission fields um, where they're primarily to help you spiritually, not to be the administrator over you. 
And rough times may come, but um, you have to be able to go to the Lord. So that is the first thing, to feed on the word. Um, And then if you have an opportunity to teach or to disciple um, other people, even as a doctor, I could find time to do it. Um, That is a great way because you're constantly in the word because you're going to uh, share it with other people. So that helps too. Yeah, I have to agree with everything Cynthia says. Um, Because, I mean, there are times you have to make it a priority, but sometimes you don't. Um, Sometimes even if you do, there's still a dry time. But then sometimes you don't. And then you're you're really going to hit a rough patch. Um, But it's, it's tough. Um, because there will be times that you just you just don't want to, or you're frustrated, or it doesn't make sense, or you just there are times when you do question everything, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you do have to be proactive in in uh, seeking out people, and you may be stuck with a team, and maybe you know it's not the people you really choose to be with, or the people that's around you, and. You um, you have to learn how to be with others that maybe you 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 know there's a lot of choices you know in your in the in the states but not necessarily we're on the field and you really have to you know search deep inside to really build a bridge. Um, there's a lot of organizations. Another thing about organizations is you know, there's a lot of member care or soul care or something. Uh, there's a lot of organizations, they, they are aware of it. Some do better than others. Um, some provide somebody for, for you to talk to, but I've been in situations where that one that was provided for me to talk to, it, it didn't click. Uh, so I've had to find other avenues uh, for my own spiritual direction I, or in counseling or, or however. There's a, there are several organizations that are not affiliated with a mission board. And they're out there for you to take advantage of their services. And and, and there's people who do come. They're not affiliated with the mission board, but the, you can arrange. They can come to where you are. You can go to where they are, things like that. And so it's, it's also something to look at when uh, looking at organizations and sort of how they're going to, how they're going to, uh, you know, format some of that member care and, um, I just want to, while I'm talking about organizations, um, you may not know how you operate, but there are some that really hold your hand every step of the way, and some let you run with a little pretty wide leash. Um, you you have to feel, you have to know yourself, and maybe you don't at first, um, as to how much autonomy that you're going to want. I like a little bit more latitude, um, but over the years I've learned how to develop my own network of support and member care. Um, but now technology also is, is amazing. There's Skype, there's email, and so if you have a relationship with maybe a counselor or a spiritual director here, maybe they'd be able to continue that when you're on the field too. I mean, it's it's there's a lot more opportunities now. Does anybody have anything to add? Yeah. Um, I learned a lot by waiting because I realized, okay, specific example, when I first arrived in Belize and I was taking the bus for the first time, you get there, the bus is supposed to come at a time, in your, you know, in your American mindset, it's, oh, it's 10 o'clock, okay, well, the bus will be here in a minute. No, not, not necessarily. And I was starting to wonder, you know, I need to go talk to the person in charge and find out what's wrong, and, you know, this is my American mentality, and all the other people around me were patiently waiting, 
smiling, talking to their friends around them. And I realized, oh. And that lesson of watching the community I was in began to start teaching me about a spiritual lesson about waiting on the Lord and like just accepting that things are not necessarily always going to be the way I expect. And so an, another huge lesson was waiting on a gatekeeper person. And that word was given um, in one of my classes in college. And that gatekeeper is a person from the community who recognized you are different. You're an American. You're whatever country. You're not from here, but we'll open the door for you to be a part of the community. And that person will help introduce you to key people in the community so you begin to develop a, a friendship network and a spiritual support network. Um, when I found that gatekeeper person, it was amazing because I could go to that person and say, well, why did this interaction that I thought was going one way happen a different way? And the person was like, well, when in Belize we don't say this this way, and you said it that way, and that offended someone, and they weren't going to tell you because that's not the way you do things. And I was like, thank you. I understand now. So waiting on the Lord and waiting in life was a big spiritual lesson. Do you have a covenant? Oh, I think it's been covered. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to piggyback on that question a little bit with a topic that – Maybe a little harder to talk about, but has come up um, when we've discussed this issue before. And I think that I'm not sure the best way that we tend to tell our stories when we've been victorious. And we like to tell everybody how good God is when we've been victorious. And it's a lot harder to get people to tell their stories when they're struggling or when they actually feel like they have failed. And... There are missionaries here at this meeting who are struggling. And you will hear, actually, Carol Spears is going to tell her story. On, is that, when is she telling her story? And she has had um, some real hard times on the mission field. And um, so I was just wondering if you could kind of comment on some missionaries that you know or you know, that really have, just because I don't want, I, I want people to feel very positive and excited about missions, but not artificially so. I don't want people to feel like we're trying to like, get you all to look through rose-colored glasses and that, you know, everything always works out exactly the way that we think that it should because that's what God does for us. Um, well, I'll start because um, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but, you know, I did... I did get overwhelmed. I did suffer from clinical depression. I had to leave the field for a time. But I'm back strong. And I had good help. And it didn't take, I mean, it, it, it took a little while. But then the healing, but I didn't have to feel like I was 100% healed. I mean, I felt like I got to a point where I could make it back. But then the healing continued, you know, even when I'm back on the field. And just, I learned so much. I, it wasn't like... Oh, sure, you feel like you're a failure, but and you feel like you let people down. But the thing is, is, is in the whole process of looking back, I am so grateful for God for allowing me to experience the deep, deep grief, the deep, deep darkness of, of, of a very bad depression. But then being able to experience the life and that pain so that I could experience even more joy. It was just really a wake-up call to self-awareness and to a very deep personal growth, which then has just continued. So that's all I'm going to say about that story. But just, I mean, it's okay to talk about it because it happens to way more people than you think about. So maybe you guys have 
something. <coughs> well, uh, I could talk about a few things. Um, one of the hardest things I experienced was coming back here to the United States um, in the 1980s after having been in Nepal for about 12 years and <clears throat> finding that there was a very uh, strong feminist movement um, and that people I knew were uh, no longer married to each other. Um, and it made a, 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 it was very hard for me. I began to find things wrong with my husband. <laughs> of course, who, who, who could be a perfect husband? Who could be a perfect wife? There is no such possibility. Only Jesus is perfect. Um, so it was a traumatic period for me. Um, in other words, the American culture began to impact my own feelings. And uh, I thank the Lord that um, I have a very strong and faithful husband, and he was able to tolerate my remarks until I went through that patch of time. Um, and when I went back to Nepal, I began to get more help, in a sense, because the atmosphere was so different. <laughs> but this was also the time when um, I was also suffering from another issue. And uh, that was, I don't know which was worse. <laughs> um, I had thought I was going to, after not wanting to go to this remote mission hospital, tiny little place in the hills, I, I left the place. I was very happy there. I was totally fulfilled. I was a doctor 24 hours a day, but without feeling the stress of being overloaded. Um, and God was good. He was meeting my needs. It was marvelous. And then the mission began to want to send somewhere else. And um, my Nepali friends especially were praying desperately that that would not happen and that when we went on our furlough, we would come back. Um, so God did not answer that prayer that I had and my Nepali friends had and others had that we would go back to that little hospital. Um, God did not let us go back. So it was a failure, I felt like, of our prayers. And that was very hard for me. Um, but God answered my need by showing me where Joseph in Genesis 50:20 said to those, you know, you meant it for ill, but God meant it for good to save many people, as you see happening now. So with that promise, I kind of went back to Nepal wondering how God was going to answer uh, and bless many people. And at first I thought it was going to be community health over a whole area that, that had been our catchment area, but that didn't happen. Then I thought it was going to be at the government hospital. So many people would come because Tom was a surgeon everybody knew about, and we would have an outreach and disciple, and that didn't happen. And in the end, what happened is that Tom left surgery and started to write a commentary on the New Testament in the Nepali language. And eventually, he wrote it in English. Eventually, it was translated into more than 30 languages. Then he wrote one on the Old Testament. And God did answer, you know, he, he gave me the hope that something good was going to come out of the failure of prayer. And um, I never imagined it was going to be what happened. But I, th I think you just kind of hold on to the promises when you go to into it. And it was a two-year period, you know, when I questioned, God, why aren't you answering our prayers? So it can happen. We're just about out of time, so I'm going to just take the liberty of asking two quick questions with quick answers, uh, because I know that a lot of you are thinking these questions, or at least we hear them a lot. You two, 
I know God wants me to be a mother because I am so good with children. So he wants me to be married and I'm single. And if I go out on the mission field, there's hardly any guys out there. So God can't possibly want me to go to the mission field single. I'll be missing his opportunities for me. Uh, no, well, uh, let me tell you, you know, it, I think of it as, you know, a concentration of guys. There's a, you know, there's lots of guys here, but there's lots of guys you don't really want to be interested in because they're not interested in the things that you're doing. All right? So if you go on the field, there's a better chance of them rising to the top, right? It's like a parts per billion kind of situation, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I have to say, I'm still looking, but I'm still hopeful. Um, so I, I, I can't tell you how many people get married on the mission field. I mean, the people that you meet, like Americans with Australians and Africans with Germans, and, and I don't know how many people meet and marry on the field. So uh, don't count it out, and just follow your heart. Um, I make that face because I don't have the answer. I'm single, I'm 27, and I'm the last one of my group of friends who's single, and it's it's tough. I'm just going to throw it out there. Those of you who are single in my situation, you know. Um, so I don't have the answer. There are many guys in my medical school class who are like, I want to be missionaries too, but they just don't happen to be the one for me. you know. So I'm just trusting God. I've had two friends recently who um, one just got married and the other one just started dating a guy. They waited. One was 29, the other one was 27. And they're like, I got my, well, not old, but, you know. (laughs) Um, And they were like, I waited on God. It was hard, but God gave me the exact man that was perfect for me, and I'm glad I waited. So I'm just holding on to that hope. Hope that helps. (laughs) Ruth and Cynthia. I'm have I got young kids. How can I take them to this germ-infested places where there is all this disease? Is that responsible parenting? God wouldn't want me on the mission field because I've got children. One minute. Well, if God calls the parents, he's calling the children to go along. That's the quick answer. The other part of it is there are wonderful things about some of those places where the children grow up. And there are difficult things here in America, too. Yeah, amazingly, Maddie's not been, my, our two-year-old daughter has not gotten sick. Maybe she's had diarrhea a few times, like any kid in America would. Um, but yeah, we live in a very germ-infested place. She sucks her thumb and crawls around, and she hasn't gotten sick yet, but the Lord will take care of your kids. We really want to thank our panelists for coming up, especially our two new ones. We want to thank you all for coming, and hopefully our, our panelists, some might be able to stay around a couple minutes if you have other questions.